I'm a crowd participation kind of guy. And, and so listen, I want to greet every one of you here at Two Rivers Assembly. I want to greet everyone that is joining us online. Those of you who have tuned in, and I, I believe that God is going to touch you today and do something special in your life, and he has a plan for you. So I want to talk about during this series, it, and, and, and really I need to give you a little bit of a, a disclaimer on this series. If you come only one Sunday during this series, you're not going to get the whole story. You're going to need to come all three Sundays to be a part of this, this series called One Love. Um, and it's based off this theme verse. It's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says, a new command I give you, love, everybody say, one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's right. We're going to be talking about love the next three Sundays. Now, I find this to be really interesting. Like, okay, Pastor Will, are you seriously trying to tell us that Christians are supposed to love people? I mean, seriously, come on. We knew that. Are you really going to waste three Sundays trying to talk about love? And doesn't this seem like a really simple principle for what we ought to be talking about? Like, duh, Jesus loves people. Hey, there you go. That solves it. We got that. Let's move on. And, and I love this verse because it says, uh, love one another, love one another, love one another. And by what will everyone know? that were his disciples. You know, I find that to be interesting and here's why we need to do this because what is the perception of a Christian today? What do people think of when they think of Christians? Judgmental, anti-homosexual, we're hypocrites, we're boring, we were we're dusty and not relevant, right? Dusty, <sighs> blow that dust off. And, and so if the world thinks that about us, is there something wrong with us? See, we're supposed to be known by our love and that's why I believe we need a series entitled One Love. Everybody with me on that? Amen. So today, today's message is entitled, One is Greater Than 99. One is Greater Than 99. Now, I don't know if there's any third grade mathematicians in the room today, but I, I'll tell you that I learned that the alligator eats the bigger number, right? So the alligator should be eating 99. But in God's economy, we're going to learn today that one is greater than 99. So let's, let's get into this. I, I really believe that God has a special message for us and a special word. I grew up, you know, we talked about a little bit identity. How do people see us? I grew up in this little town called Moravia, just north of here, in a real small high school. And I spent my high school years 
I don't know if anybody can associate with this, trying to figure out what crowd I fit in. Right, I, I, I was, I played on all the athletic teams. So I had nine varsity letters. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, am I a jock? Am I in the jock crowd? And, and, and so I sit at the jock table at lunchtime. How many know that lunchtime is a really important decision that you have to make when you have to go find which table to sit at? Some of the high schoolers are here like, I know exactly what he's talking about. It is, mis- I don't know which table to sit at. And you come out of the lunch line and you look around and there's the nerd table. They're playing like Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't know, I don't know what it is now, but back in the day, these kids were sitting around playing with their little cards and had the little toys and random things. I called that the nerd. So if you play that, I apologize. <laughs> and, and then and then you had the jocks table over here you had the honor roll table over here you had the stoner table over here and, and and then you had like this the rest of like we don't know where we fit tables right and how many how many know what i'm talking about and and, and kind of understand that and you're trying to you're just trying to find your place you're trying to find where you fit in, and there's something that is built in us that causes us to want to stick with the crowd. There, there's something about us that's like, oh, okay, these people over here, they pick on me too much. I don't want to be around them. And these people over here, I'm not sure if I'm down with all the stuff they like, but at least they don't pick on me. And, and so, so we, we try to find where we fit. And, and, and most of us are driven by this desire to just have peace and have acceptance. How many get that? How many understand what it is to feel like, I just want to be accepted. I just want to have peace in my life. I just want to have people around me who get me. And so what we tend to do is we tend to create crowds. We tend to create groups of people that we want to just stick with. And, and so we all kind of find ourselves in that place. And, and here's what happens in, in Christianity is that our desire to be accepted causes us to stick with a crowd. And, and, and American Christianity is kind of facing this identity problem because we aren't sure within Christianity what crowd we're supposed to choose. Because even among Christians, and I got to give a little disclaimer to this. If, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you can just sit back and be like, oh, I'm off the hook a little bit. And, and you can kind of just peek in and see what, because I'm going to talk to believers today. I want to talk to you. If you're here today and you're a believer, I, I really want to specifically address some of these things. And if you're not a believer and you're checking out Christianity, maybe some of this content will help you to decide where do you fit and whether or not you want to become a follower of Jesus. So it, it kind of gives you kind of the ability to just sit back and say, hmm, does that make sense? Because I imagine some of the things that you know about what Christianity ought to be are maybe some hurdles that are keeping you from becoming a believer. And, and so here's what I think happens in the church world today. There, there's there's the Christian culture crowd. You know, you know this crowd because these are the people that are wearing the Lord's Gym t-shirt. 
right? And, and they, have, they have all the Christian t-shirts and they have all the Christian bands and they know, like, what's the Christian top 40? I don't know, but they know. They know who the newest Christian worship artist is and they have that all figured out. And there's this whole subculture and there's Christian jokes, there's Christian movies, there's Christian t-shirts. You can, you can go to Christian plumbers. And, and you know what I'm talking about? There's a way to get away from and just get into this whole culture of Christianity. And, and then there's this second group that I, that I kind of call the, the crowd of secularized silence. So you got this really unusual group of people over here who are like, man, I'm all about Jesus. And if you're not wearing Christian t-shirts, you're not sharing the message. And if you're not posting all the Christian stuff on your Facebook feed, you really don't know how to use social media and all of that. And they're a really vocal subculture. And then over here, the people that are like, I'm not wearing that t-shirt ever, period. That ain't happening. And, and, and we're just trying to fit in we, don't, we, we know we don't want to be with that group. We're not quite sure if we fit in with the world, but we don't know. We know we're like, I know there's something wrong with that, but I don't really fit over here. And, and the reality is, is that that tension between the two is something that has existed for centuries. In fact, the good news is we aren't the only people to struggle with which crowd that we should fit in. The, the people in Jesus' day did as well. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And, and so let me just pause really quick in that so we can give a little context for why the Pharisees are muttering, because Tax collectors during that period of time were the outcasts of the Jewish world. They were hated and they were considered traitors to Israel because they worked for the Roman institution. It would be like today if there was somebody that came to your house and said, give me 20% of all you make because I'm going to go give it to Al-Qaeda. You might be opposed to that. How many would be opposed to your money going to Al-Qaeda? How many would not like the person that said, give me your money so I can give it to the terrorists who are going to blow up somebody in, that you know? Anybody else here that would be like, yeah, that's a pretty sketchy person. I'm not sure that I would hang out with that guy. All right. So that's, that's kind of what a tax collector was like. He's funding the Roman world who is opposing national Israel. Now, the other people, this other group uh, were sinners, and they were notoriously evil people, as well as those who refused to follow Mosaic law. They interpret, you know, all, the way that the teachers of the law interpreted it. And so the term was commonly used, sinners, for tax collectors, adulterers, robbers, thieves, that sort of ilk. And, and so here's the problem culturally. Jesus was eating with them. These people who are outcasts of our culture, of that culture and that society, Jesus is eating with them. And eating together at that time was a sign of friendship. Everybody say, ooh. 
Yeah, it was a sign of friendship. And so at the heart of this question where the Pharisees are murmuring about this is they're saying, are you with them? Are you with them or are you a friend of God? Ipso facto, our friend, right? Are, are you a friend of sinners or, or are you a friend of God? There's no middle ground in their mind. There's no room for them, for Jesus to be friend of sinners and a friend of God. And I feel like that's happening in the church world today. I feel like that's why we have the reputation that we have because there's a group of people that says, hey, come on over here. Come on, put on our t-shirts and do all of our stuff. And, and hey, are, are, you're not gonna join our group? Are you a friend of sinners? Or are you a friend of God? And therefore our friend. And, and so here's what Jesus does. He, re, he redefines the conventions of culture and he tells them this story, picking up in verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? What does Jesus do here? He's got 99 sheep that are found and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And I know, you know, when you preach a message like this, people get all, they get all like, oh no, you can't tell people to use their conscience. You can't tell people to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. You should come up with all these rules and define what people should be doing and how they should be living and they should be going this way and they should be going that. And it's dangerous to tell people that they should leave the 99 because you're leaving the safety of the crowd. You're leaving the safety of the fold. There's strength in numbers. And, and Jesus goes after the one sheep. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And now I need you to hear this because God loves our worship. God loves it when we praise him. God loves it when we pray. God loves it when we give him our utmost and our best. But let me tell you what starts a party in heaven. What starts a party in heaven is when we go find the lost sinner and bring them home. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to leave the group behind to find the one. And in so doing, declaring how we should realign our priorities for what we are living for. Are we living for acceptance and peace? Are we just wanting to fit in with the crowd? Or... Are we living as a follower of the one who points us to love the one? I got to tell you that Jesus is preoccupied with the one. Everybody say Jesus loves the one. 
You see, let me be clear. In this, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you've got five kids. I've said this before. And you go to Disneyland and you've got your five children with you and one child is lost, wanders off. What do you say? Oh, well, I've got four others. Too bad for them. I mean, really, I got lots of other kids. No way. We don't, we don't do that. The father's heart is designed to stay, stop everything. You stop everything. I'm going to go find my lost child. And if you're not with me, get out of my way. Either you help me or you get out of my way. I'm going to put everybody I know to work to find the child that I have lost. Would you not stop Disneyland? Shut this park down until I find my lost son. Wouldn't you turn that place upside down until you could find your child? And this is why Jesus is preoccupied with the lost. He is preoccupied with the one who is far from God. And and the reality of it is that whatever your crowd is, Jesus has set a new precedent to leave your crowd and live on mission. Stop everything that we are doing and realign our priorities around this concept that we need to love the one. And so I'm going to give us a couple of really quick ideas on how we should love the one. Number one is how to love the one. Number one is make a difference. You see, I believe that that the church can choose to make a point or we can choose to make a difference. See, a lot of times people are busy. They're running around on Facebook and and they're trying to make a point. We're trying to talk about, oh no, the truth is this, and this is this, and this is this. And the reality is they have completely missed the reality of making a difference. You know, I like to say that two rivers is the difference between a cruise ship and a fishing boat. On a fishing boat, everybody works. On a cruise ship, you got a few people sitting back and there's people serving them and taking care of them. On a fishing boat, it gets stinky and dirty because we're bringing in new fish. On On a cruise boat, you got somebody saying, don't let the stinky, smelly fish annoy anyone. And they're telling that fish, you stink, throw it back in the water. Fish, you should come out of the water smelling good. Fish, you should come out of the water and have your stuff together already. Fish, when you come out of the water, you should go ahead and have all your scales removed so we can eat you properly. How come you're not already cooked and prepped and already formed? And so we're busy throwing the fish back on a cruise ship. And and the reality is, is that I am sick to death, and the world is sick to death of point makers. This generation doesn't want to hear about the truth. We want to see the truth. I'm tired of people talking but not living. 
You want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? John 18, 37 says it like this, for this cause, see Jesus had a cause, he had a purpose to his life, and it says, for this cause I have come into the world so that I should bear witness to the truth. He didn't, he didn't just say, I'm going to come and tell you all the things that do or you're doing wrong or right. And get me, don't get me wrong. Jesus stood for the truth, but he bore witness to it. You saw demonstrations in Jesus' life. The authenticity of how he lived bore witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And so the reality of it is this. They're never going to see the truth if we aren't living it. You know, don't use this idea that there's a bunch of people who are judgmental and they're, you know, Christians are all of these things, anti-everything, and, and then just use that as an excuse to be a lazy Christian. We have to make a difference. That means you might need to roll up your sleeves and do something. You might need to roll up your sleeves and actually put your arm around somebody that doesn't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't smell like you, they don't vote like you, they don't do the things you think they ought to do. But Jesus said, I would rather leave the 99 in the safety of my crowd to go find the one and make a difference. We're going to be, we got to bring transformation to our world by being witnesses. You know what it says in the book of Acts? You will receive power to be, everybody say be. Be a witness, not do witnessing. Catch the difference? See, and I got to move on to our next point, but I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it in together because it says the next one, how to love the one. Be in the world, but not of the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. And, and, and so we have done this. We've said, okay, oh, the world is a big, scary place. And there's people that are trying to get us to sin. And, oh, we're going we're gonna to build a nice castle here. And we're going to call it the church. And we're just going to always show up in the church. And we're going to get behind the gates. And we're going to peer over the, look at the people out there. It's scary. They're going to hurt us and do things and might say things that are, are, are nasty. And, and we build this defense fortress and we're going to hunker down till he comes and we're just going to love on Jesus and we're going to be holy. And, and, and I'm not against the idea of holiness, but let me tell you what the filter of what holiness is. Love God, love people. That's the filter of holiness. If you think you're holy and you're, you're, what you're doing doesn't meet that criteria, that is sin. It doesn't meet God's criteria for holiness. And, and so what happens is we say, okay, we, we're going to do the job of, we got to at some point, we're going to get all charged up and we get together on a Friday night and we got all, all the evangelists together because evangelism is not my ministry. 
That's somebody else's ministry. So, so we say, okay, we're going to get the evangelists together. We're going to pray up and everybody gets together and they start praying and they're like, okay, I'm prayed up. And we go out and we walk out the doors and we seize upon some poor sucker on the street. And, and, and then this guy, we come and we tell him everything that he's doing wrong, how he can do right. And then we walk back, Woo! better get back into my fortress, into my tower. Congratulate yourselves, everybody. We did it. Yes. We never built a relationship. And that, and that guy doesn't, isn't anywhere closer to God, but boy, we did it, right? And, and, and so somehow we have removed ourselves from the world and we've made it into something that it's not. And, and God created the church to be a blessing to the world. And, and, and God created the church to be salt and light to the world. And here's the reality of how we live our lives. We take our salt and dump it all into one spot. Can you imagine eating a piece of steak with the entire salt shaker pulled out all on that one spot? Why do you think people have a bad idea of the church? Because they've taken a bite and it's just too much salt. It's just too much. And it, it's meant to be spread out. It's meant to be scattered throughout the world. And it's meant that we would be in the world, but not of the world. And, and so the reality of it is this, that we, you and I, we don't need somebody else to do the job for us. We don't need to wait around for the A team to show up. Some evangelistic team that's going to come into town. Billy Graham rises from the dead and here he is. And he's going to do the work of evangelizing the world for us. Yay, Billy Graham. And, and, and the reality is, is that somehow we've decided that we don't have to live on mission anymore. And, and so we need to get to the point where we stop doing church and we start being the church. We've got to be salt and light to the people around us. We've got to be in relationship with the people and we need to make a difference. We need to be in the world. In this part, oh, everybody that was saying amen might not want to say amen anymore. It's not of the world. See, we gotta, we gotta have the, our holiness fixed into us. And the problem with the church today is that we are of the world, but not in it. We, we flipped it all the way around. See, the church gets full of envy, anger, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness. And when people are looking at into that like otherworldliness, what do they see? They don't see holiness. They don't see love in action. They see everything that we ought not to be. And so we got to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and in that, we will change how everybody views the world. You know, there's a story about a man that fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, well, it's logical that somebody would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in that pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on his pit. 
A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. A Calvinist said, if you had been saved, you would have never fallen into that pit. A Wesleyan said, you were saved and still fell into that pit. A charismatic said, just confess that you're not in that pit. A realist said, now that's a pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. An IRS man asked if he was paying taxes on his pit. The county inspector asked if he had a permit to dig the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject altogether. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. Jesus, seeing the man, reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. We're going to wrap this up here in a few moments. But what can you and I do to leave the crowd to love the one? At Two Rivers, we're, we've designed our Sunday experience to reach the unchurched and the de-churched. We try to build a non-threatening environment. We, we try to have branding, signs, and coffee, and, and, and brand consciousness. We try to reduce the worship time. We try to make our worship more like a concert because if you come here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know why we're singing. And quite honestly, I've talked to several people who say they can't make that worship time short enough, even though it's awesome. To us, to the outsider, sometimes we've got to get our minds around that we got to leave our crowd to be concerned about the lost to be concerned about lost things. And, and so we have a great host team. We have people on the host team that are, that are trying to greet people and, and make them feel comfortable and feel welcome. We try to clarify Christian terminology. When we say preach the gospel, I'd rather say tell people about the good news. Salvation opportunities happen every Sunday. We have follow-up systems and processes. There's a team of people who work in the office all week long so that people can come to know Jesus. We do, we do surveys and we listen to what people on the street have to say. We listen to why they don't want to go to church. And we do things to create an environment that would tackle all of that. We use the results from the market to create programming that is relevant to people who don't know Christ. My heart is that I want to be where Jesus is. I love the one who loves the one. And if I want to be where Jesus is, he is not in the crowd of the 99. He is blazing a new trail to find where somebody is far from God. And let me tell you, if that means we have to do some things a little bit differently, that's exactly what I want to do because I want to love the one. And I want there to be something in me that makes a difference. I want there to be, I want to be in the world, but not of the world. So how do we personally love the one? And I'll tell you, it's the same way Jesus did. Welcome sinners and eat with them. Just welcome sinners and eat with them. Do life together. 
I challenge you to write down the name of someone who doesn't know Jesus. Then invite them to do life together with you. Eat with them. Go to a movie with them. The Holy Spirit will give you power to make a difference. He will give you power to be a witness. You know, it's really interesting. 90% of the people in this room, and this is a national average, are in the room because a friend or family member invited them. You see, if you invite somebody, you give God the opportunity to do what God does. It's like you're putting them on your shoulder and you're carrying them back into the fold. If they aren't ready to come to church, build a relationship with them and bring them to your tea group. Do a Bible study at your house. Have a night where you just host them and have coffee and answer questions. Stop doing church and start being the church. You know what's amazing about that? Just getting into relationship with people. Pew Research revealed that if you if, if somebody has three to four Christian friends, they increase their likelihood of accepting Christ up to 75%. The reality is, is that I dream about a church that will reach the one. I dream that we will do everything we can to reach the one. Will you dream with me? Can you imagine a church full of people that don't know Jesus and are moving toward his amazing love? That's why we exist here at Two Rivers, to love the one. Invite someone to dinner. And when the time is right, invite them to follow Jesus. You know, you may be here today and, and I, I know You've been listening in to this story and you've been listening in to the words and you feel right now that you're ready to follow Jesus because some of the things that I've talked about have been sticking points for you. So you know that people are hypocritical. You know that they're not living it out, but for the first time you understand that we are all sinners saved by grace. It is the mercy of God alone in our life that draws us to God. And it was only through what Jesus Christ did on the cross that any of us can be here today. It is only by his great mercy and grace that we can know God. And so would every head bow and every eye close in this room today? If you're here and you have not made your life right with God, this is your moment. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit working on your heart and your life. And I simply want you in a few moments to raise your hand to acknowledge that I am ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to come into the fold. I've heard about a Savior who is concerned about me and he was concerned about you to the point that he was willing to die on the cross to take your place for your sin. And today, you can be made right with God through what Jesus did on that cross. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you know that's you, would you slip your hand in the air, say, Pastor Will, I'm ready to make my life right with Jesus today. 
I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I want to come home. I see hands up all around in the back of the room here, all the way around, all through. You can put your hands down. We're all gonna pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, let's all pray it together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me. Thank you for what you did on the cross, that you died and rose again for me. I give you my life to follow you, to come home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together.